Welcome to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast, where leaders share how they've created a company so incredible their employees have to tell their friends about it. And now, here's your host, Jordan Peace. Welcome back to Bragworthy Culture. Today, we're chatting with Lori Boyd. Lori is the CPO at Turo. Turo, of course, is the world's largest car sharing marketplace, and Lori is responsible for everything people and places related, which means recruiting, facilities, IT, benefits, compensation, immigration, performance management, retention, learning and development, employee engagement, and rewards and recognition. So I'm not sure what the other several hundred people do over at Turo because Lori is holding it down. But Lori has worked in Silicon Valley for over 25 years and finance, tech, and HR for companies such as PwC, Oracle, Salesforce, understand a very early hire at Salesforce, Kahuna, and Zendesk, where she headed up recruiting as they grew from 100 to 900 employees. Lori is also an active Stanford alumni and lives in Los Altos Hills, California with her husband, two sons, and three dogs. So, Lori, thank you so much. What a, what a job description. What a role you have. And thank you so much for the time. Absolutely. Excited to be here. Yeah, you you were sharing right before we started recording that you're also doubling as the mail person for the organization right now as someone has to go pick it up from the office. Well, actually, it gets forwarded here, so I don't actually drive up to the city every day. Once a week, it gets forwarded, and I FedEx it out. But yeah, mail, stock, admin, all all of the above. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the list just keeps growing there. So obviously, it's March of 2021 as we're recording this. It's been 12 months since the pandemic hit, at least hit stateside. And I'm sure your job and everyone else's who's listening has changed dramatically. Just to keep it kind of on the positive side to start out, I'm curious as you guys got into figuring out the COVID world and and all that your response was going to be, what are one or two of the best ideas that came out of COVID for you guys as you're forced to change, forced to figure out new challenges? What were some of the brilliant things that sort of revealed themselves to you? Sure. I mean, at the beginning of COVID, since we're in the transportation travel industry, our world came to a grinding halt last Uh. March. And it was really, really difficult because we were on this great upward trajectory. And we had to make the decision to let go of a number of our colleagues, not Mm. due to performance or anything, but because of the business. And we needed, as you know, a startup needs to preserve its cash runway. And so we had to make some of those tough choices. But when it came to the business and the culture, I think one of the things that really saved us was, first of all, our transparency and being very upfront that even as a leadership team, we had no idea whether this was going to last a week, two weeks, two months, two years. So to just be very honest and constantly communicate with our employees what we knew when we knew it and to bring them along in our decision making process. Mm. But I think the thing that really helped us overall as a business was if this pandemic forced us to align. We couldn't now do all of these various product enhancements or sales strategies or marketing plans that we had had in the past. So we had Mm. to really consolidate a line on what mattered most. Mm. And it was kind of liberating for some of our employees because some of us are stretched pretty thin. We're trying to tackle everything. But this gave us permission to say no, that if a project or a, a, a piece of work that we were previously working on wasn't aligned to the top two or three goals that we now had clearly in front of us, it gave us permission to stop and to just focus on what mattered. So I think that helped us overall. Wow. That's super interesting. I I would not have 
foreseen that. But yeah, I mean, in, in your industry to to have to go through what you went through and I understand there's been recovery on that front and will be all the more as we go forward. But now that you've been through the hardest part and made those really difficult decisions, how has it been trying to support your people just as their social lives have kind of dried up and their in-person friendships just haven't been there? How has that been for you and your, your role, your title to try to solve big, big problems like that? Yeah, I mean, if you would have asked me at the beginning of the year, you know, what my top three goals were for 2020, helping to lead a company through a global pandemic, supporting our employees through issues of racial injustice. Sorry, Netty Dog, FedEx must be here. (laughs) Racial injustice, and then a president who is tweeting out reforms in immigration overnight without notice and putting our visa holders, just loading them with anxiety. That was not what I had in mind for 2020, but we worked through it. And I think a lot of it was having conversations with management about what our clear objectives are. But in supporting our employees, it was very much about meeting them where they were. So we put a lot of resources together initially around mental health and awareness of the benefits that we do have. A lot of people don't understand that we have so many EAP benefits. I share with them, you know, I see a therapist every Thursday morning. There is no stigma with respect to mental health. We're all going through something, whether it's my crazy dogs barking at the FedEx man who drive me nuts here after a year or childcare struggles or someone who's battling COVID. We had employees who were, who did come down with COVID who were stressed that, oh my goodness, I don't have an estate or a will in place for my children. Help me out. And so we got Rocket Lawyer, our partners, to come in and do sessions on that. Not that anybody wants to talk about putting together wills at this time, but there were these foreseen functions. um, And so we just provided as much support and resource, re-educating our employees about all the great things that we already had in place. But now they were a little bit more relevant for them. Hmm. Was that in any way with a career that's been at least in part kind of deep into the HR and people strategy space, was, was that in some way really kind of revitalizing for you? I mean, you don't want to go through a pandemic. You don't want these people to, to face these kinds of problems. But I would imagine you got into the role that you're in to help people. So like, what has it been satisfying for you? Has it, has it been meaningful this past year? Absolutely. I mean, nobody wants to go through this. I don't ever choose to go through one again, but the world takes its ups and downs. I was around when we were flying high at Salesforce and then the bubble burst in 2001. I had to lay myself off as the HR (laughs) manager from there, right? We couldn't make payroll. We're struggling to make payroll. So I've seen cycles before of where we go through these tough patches. So I was optimistic that we'd come back up on the upswing. But of course, you don't want to see your employees suffer And again, everybody's going through something different. So Mm. we were trying to figure out how to meet everybody where they were at. And of course, totally appreciated when I would get slacks or my team members were so good about sharing that because the HR team, we're tiny team, but we have taken quite the burden this past year. And so when an employee takes the time to just send a two line slack to say, hey, that really made a difference in my life or Mm. thank you for holding that session. Thank you for holding a session on ergonomics. My setup is so much better now. I'm doing stretches. Like just for them to say thank you, that is that that keeps me going for another few more months. I bet it does. And for everyone listening, remember that. Send a Slack message to someone on your HR team today. Just say thank you because they are working incredibly hard, as as always, but especially in these last 12 months. I, I feel certain about that. So now that we're 12 months in. 
how are your people doing? And kind of a, a second part to that, how do you know how your people are doing? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things we were very fortunate as we went in to have in place for at Turo as we went into the pandemic is that we're all used to the online tools. So we've had Zoom for a while, Slack. We work within Google Docs. So there was no transition to the technology side of things. So that was pretty seamless. I mean, even our exec team member, we team members we meet every Tuesday morning, but nobody was ever always there for every Tuesday, mm-hmm. right? Somebody was traveling, LA, New York, Berlin, wherever it was. And mm-hmm. so we're, we're very comfortable with the tools. But, you know, we did notice that Zoom fatigue would set in. You know, we supported our managers with best tips and practices on how to keep an eye out for their employees, to check in with them as, as humans first more than anything. But I'd say overall, the team is doing great. We missed each other. That's the biggest thing is we just really miss seeing each other in the kitchen, uh, going out to lunch. So that's the toughest part. And we're all anxiously awaiting a return to the office. But the way we know it's going great is we do do engagement surveys. We do them every six months currently. And so we check in and aside from the pandemic, we just did one right after we had the reduction in force. That was our lowest score in the past three years. But even that wasn't so low because I think folks appreciated the transparency and the constant communications as we were working through all of that. Yeah. Well, speaking of missing each other and wanting to get back to the office, I'd love to hear a little bit about your expectations of your own organization in terms of who's coming back, who's not two days a week, four days a week. What, what are you what are you expecting and what, and even wanting to see happen? Yeah, there's lots of questions. You see all the headlines of some of the big known Silicon Valley companies saying work from wherever, forever, whenever. Sure. That's not quite us here at Turo. Again, we miss each other. We like hanging out with each other, but we were flexible to start out with. So there was never a mandate that you had to be here Monday through Friday, nine to five. I myself, as an example, I live 45 miles away. I had worked out that I work from home one day a week just to break up the commute on Mm -hmm. Thursdays. For example, it's not a Friday to take a long weekend or a Monday, but just to not drive or for somebody not to have the BART commute. So we were flexible before. Our stance is we had basically shared that we were not a disparate and remote workforce prior to the pandemic, and we have no intention of being one after the pandemic. So we have shared that once there's a widespread and effective vaccine, that we and we reopen the offices, that we do expect employees to return back to the workplace. So that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, yeah. That's great. I, I think I'm in your camp in terms of, I just miss the people that I work with, you know, like, it's great to see them on Zoom. And we, we actually added a little device called a sidekick. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it's kind of this always on video thing where you can sort of pop in and out of chat rooms and so forth. And it's neat, but it's just nothing like walking down the street and getting a cup of coffee or getting lunch or whatever the case may be. So I, I miss it as well. I totally feel you on that. <laughs> exactly. And I think while well, we've done a great job with virtually onboarding all of our new hires, because we've still been hiring, obviously, right. as the business came back, we've, our team has done a fabulous job with that. We get great survey results from the new hires. But there's still something that's just missing when you're you know, ramping a new hire where you could just sit there side by side and share, like, look and walk them through things. I mean, you yeah. can still screen share via Zoom, but it's not exactly the same. And I think there are just missed opportunities, mm-hmm. conversations in the hallway, last minute collaboration and inspiration that happens at the lunch table. We, we miss yeah. that. And so yeah. and that's one of the big reasons why we continue to stay here at True is we actually like our coworkers and like <laughs> our people. Um, and I think that's how we retain them is it, it, it really is a great place to be. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. 
I'm curious, you guys are a larger organization. Not everybody that's listening has a kind of built out team like you do and so forth. But I'm curious just so that the younger entrepreneurs that are listening and those that aren't as well established can learn from your process. So I'd love to hear when you come across a challenge, it doesn't have to be as big of a challenge as COVID, right? But any new challenge, anything that sort of facilitates, necessitates, excuse me, a change in your people strategy, what does the process look like for you guys? Who's involved and how do you guys sit down and determine we need a new program, we need a new policy, a new strategy? What, what does it look like when you become aware of a needed change? Sure. I mean, I think for myself, at least the way I've worked through it is I try to do my own homework first on what is the problem we're trying to solve for? First of mm-hmm. all, you need to understand that. And then what does success look like at the end of it? And so if we have those two points, at least to guide us, then it's doing our own research it's figuring out who all the required stakeholders are and maybe some ancillary ones that could be impacted by this. Mm-hmm. And it's not always just internal folks. It's what are the external optics of us making a decision like this? How does it impact our recruiting and our candidates as they view us as a potential future employer? Right. Are there legal ramifications that I have to bring loop legal into? Budget implications, usually in a startup, it's very budget constrained. So making sure that we understand what trade-offs we're making, should we decide to invest in this new type of program. And then the communication strategy. I think for a lot of teams, the reasons why projects fail is because there wasn't good solid communication of why we're doing it, Mm -hmm. what we're doing, when we're doing it, and then reporting back on how it all turned out. So, and especially I've learned in 20 some years that with people, you need to tell them, tell them again, tell them again, and tell them again, and then maybe they'll actually understand the whole, put together the whole why. Oh, that's great. That This is just me taking personal notes from you here. <laughs> tell them again, tell them again, tell them again. You mentioned external and, and how things are perceived. And, and I was going to ask you about this anyway, because if you Google Turo as an employer, you get great places to work and great glass door reviews and recognized by fortune and this and that. And there's quite a few accolades to look at, which is fantastic. And so I, I'd love to hear about kind of your employer brand, how you guys look out there as an employer and what that means to you and how much of an advantage or not that is to you guys when you when you go into recruiting and attracting talent. Absolutely. It's a huge advantage and it's a huge opportunity for us to feel very proud of where we were. And so when I came on board a little over three years ago, I remember one of the first presentations, because I had never even heard of Turo, never heard of them. And I'm here in the Bay Area where the company's headquartered. Right. And so I knew that we had to work on our brand. If I, if I, who am in the business, don't know about this company that's one of the hidden little gems culture-wise and a great place to work, we needed to spread the word. So I did a presentation for the company on what employer branding is, how we go about getting down that path and why it's important. And it isn't just important so we can have the little badges at the bottom of our email. It is very important for recruiting, of course. And if this company is to grow, the people are what make it grow. If I don't have designers here to build the product, product managers to lead it, engineers to build it, right? Salespeople to sell it. We're nothing without our people. And so we need to be able to recruit. That's a huge area of attraction. But then also what I don't think a lot of employees understand is that it's also a nice accolade to show in front of investors. 
because investors do go check out your Glassdoor page. If you don't know that, uh, entrepreneurs, they do read your Glassdoors. They look at these badges and they want to understand what kind of a culture it is that you're building. And the only way you get these badges is if your culture is genuine because these surveys go out to the employees and they fill out with whatever they're going to fill out. They either check the yes, agree box or the disagree and they put their comments behind it. And that's how we're able to snag a number of those accolades. But they're very, very important to a growing company. Yeah, I feel certain there's just an amount of trust that is implicit, you know, when they're coming in for that first interview and an expectation that they're going to be treated well. And I'd, I'd imagine it's a it's a huge foot forward. We actually just sent out our first such survey to our people uh, just yesterday. So I'm kind That's of waiting. Well, good luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you on the list. <laughs> We're yeah, on different yeah. sides of the country, but <laughs> some of the bigger ones. I look forward to seeing us on there too. When it comes to the feedback from your employees, right? Because to an extent, our employer brand is a combination of what we say about us, but maybe the bigger the bigger piece of it is what our what do our people say about us, right? That's what people really want to know, what they're really listening to. So not that it's the only example, but you look at something like Glassdoor, what would be, just kind of based on your culture, company values, and so forth, what would be the perfect Glassdoor review? Like if you logged on and you could just read, I love Turo and here's why, like fill in the blank. I mean, I think the things that make us most proud when we read some of those reviews is that they believe and they trust in management and the leadership that we're very transparent with them. And I mean transparent and we communicate, we are honest. And even Mm -hmm. if it's tough decisions or tough news, we we let the folks know. So I think they hold that in high regard that we we aren't hiding anything from them. We bring them along in as much of the decision-making as possible that they have a voice with us. I think the other thing is that they see that we do care for our people. Based on their feedback, for example, when I first came on board, there was feedback that our employees wanted a 401k match. And again, as a startup company, we're happy to have a 401k, but to start matching the employee contributions is a a big budgetary ask. And so what we laid out was we said, we hear you from your engagement service. We hear you. We know this is a benefit that you want. But again, with limited cash, here's, here's our proposal to you. Help us hit these financial metrics. And when we do, as we're all aligned and we have that goal in front of us, then we will come back with a 401k match. And last year we hit those financial metrics and we told folks, here we go, we're going on board with the match. And they were just thrilled. So they know that we hear them. We listen to their feedback. And so I think that's what matters most is that they believe in leadership, that they feel safe. I mean, psychological safety in the workplace, that they can trust one another and that we care for them. That's what makes me most happy. That's great. I love just bringing them right into the process, you know, and just, hey, we we hear you. We'd love to do that, right? Help us get there. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. I I am learning so much from doing this podcast. I really (laughs) I enjoy it a lot. Maybe just if you were to look at an individual piece of feedback that you've gotten, right? So, so not necessarily, because I know you sit there and you read every last one, right? So not just in aggregate, hey, we'd like a 401k match, but can you recall, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but can you recall a single piece of feedback that you got from one of those surveys, maybe in the last 12 months or maybe six months, whatever, that was just really insightful, really helpful to you that maybe helped you see a blind spot or, or maybe just told you that you were on the right track? I don't know if it's necessarily from a review. 
I, we, we get other feedback that was like kind of aha moments um, for right. me. And maybe, maybe I'll share one of those. Sure. I was speaking with some of the, the women in the company who there were concerns that came out through our engagement survey that some of the women felt that maybe they weren't compensated at the same level as the men mm-hmm. for the same role. And so, of course, that's hugely disturbing to me as I run compensation. I look at every offer before it goes out. And, of course, we're compliant with California laws of not having gender disparity. So I went and took a look. And, of course, it was all good. It was all okay. But there was this perception. And so I was trying to understand. So I met one-on-one with each of the women in this department. And we went through it. And they gave me their feedback. And on the topic of compensation, it was like, well, I'm told I'm paid fairly. But I don't know if that's true. And I was like, well, but we have the band. And, you know, and they're like, my manager never popped out the band for me, my compensation band. And I was like, well, that's easy enough. We're coming up on performance review season right now. We advise every manager when you go through and have your performance review conversation with your employee, show them where they are in the band. It's 40,000 to 55,000. You're at 48. You're now going to get a 3%, 6%, whatever it is. You're now here at the upper end of the band. Very clear in that way. But they said, we just have to trust that we're being paid. And so when that was an easy yeah. item to, to fix. So we do get feedback like that when I'm like, huh, really? How is that even a, a thought in our culture yeah. here that we're doing odd pay practices? But it said it clear and we're all good now on that front. Yeah, just a lack of clarity. That transparency that's been modeled, it just that particular thing just wasn't being shared. And yeah. That, yeah, and just like that, we probably had to train our managers better, you right. know, better prepare them for the performance reviews conversation. Yeah. So we held a session to walk them through and how to speak about compensation. Right. National average is 3%. So if we get four or five, we're doing really well, yeah. even despite the pandemic, when lo- there are lots of companies who weren't giving increases. So right. that was an aha moment of how is this even a thought out there? Right. I mean, it's a, it's a great example. I'd love to ask a question around that because it's a great example of everyone's doing the right thing. The compensation is fair, right? And yet the perception was off, right? And there is valid reason for that perhaps, but I'd love to hear more about that. Again, with with young entrepreneurs in mind, with folks a little less established in mind, thinking through, we always talk about the building blocks of, hey, we need a great culture. We need the right people. We need the right, you know, whatever, the sales process. What about on the negative side? What about what are the pieces of an organization or, or things like that, perception, gossip, whatever it is, that can creep in and just take you down? You know, what do we need to watch out for as young entrepreneurs? First of all, your culture, you model your culture, especially as the founder, co-founders. It's usually toned from the top because if the leaders aren't walking the walk every day, then others are going to think they don't need to do it either. So that's super important. But I think the main thing that culture is really just this reflection of how we behave. I think it was DDA, Elzinger, you know, the CEO of, of CultureAmp, who said that values aren't created, they're uncovered. So your people see what you're doing every day. And if you say one thing, but behave in a different manner, you're not, you're not aligned. And so you have to hold your culture very sacred. But at mm. the same time, it can't always be the same. Because, you know, I heard the same thing when I came on board with True was much smaller that oh, it isn't like we were when we were 40 people or 60 people. And I'm like, folks, with every new hire we bring on board, we will change and we will grow, but hopefully in the right direction and for the better, we become stronger and more resilient. But here's hoping we're never 60 people again, right? But what was special about when we were 60 that we can continue to keep on with us? And that's how the values were built at Turo. But I think the thing people really keep an eye on is bad behavior, toxicity, 
we do not tolerate it. Arrogance or ego, like that has no place in our company. None of us deal with it. And so unfortunately, if we do make a hire that is exhibiting those types of traits, we do our best in making sure we as people managers, first of all, give them the feedback. Are they self-aware that they're doing this? Maybe they're not. And so we have to coach them which is tough for managers, especially first-time managers. They don't want to have that conflict. They'd rather be the friend, but that just gets you into trouble later. And if you don't think that the rest of your team notices it, you're sadly mistaken. Because Mm -hmm. if there is somebody stirring the pot in the team, it spreads like cancer. They're trying to stir other people up. Mm -hmm. It's a burden on the team. They feel it. They feel like they're walking on eggshells. Can I tell so-and-so this? What are they going to do? Are they going to spin my words around? Are they going to tell me an untruth? Whatever that is. And unfortunately, sometimes you do have to remove those people from your team. And I can tell you, it's not easy. That's not why we go into HR to people management is to hire and then let people go. But at the same time, you can see the weight lifted from the rest of your team members and you regain your respect as a people leader that you actually do care for the other Mm -hmm. members of your team, not just the one troublemaker or toxic behavior. So I think we are very much, we keep our eye on that here at Turo for sure. Yeah. And it isn't always just that tox- toxicity. It's who do we promote, right? I think you have to have a very, very high bar when you go to promote people, especially at the director or above level right. for people who go into people management roles, because you're sending a message as a leadership team. If you're the VP of operations or marketing or whatever, and you put this person up for promotion and they aren't exactly aligned with the values and they do not model that behavior on a day-to-day basis, that's not going to do your department well. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. It's interesting. In a short half an hour, we've talked about how our people strategy is everything, that we can't grow without bringing the engineers and the salespeople in, and that culture is what attracts them and what keeps them, etc. We've also talked about how toxicity in the people in the culture is really, really dangerous. It can bring an organization down. So both can be incredibly powerful in one direction or the other. And yet, I would say historically, and maybe this is changing, and, and, and I hope this is changing, but that the HR space has been seen as this cost center, right? <laughs> and this catch-all for liability and, you know, this make sure no one's angry at us, and, and as opposed to a strategic piece of the organization that is about building it and thriving and moving things forward. So I guess my question is, Why do you think that is? Why do you think that reputation, I I think, falsely has been there about being a cost center? And what's changing or what has changed that the C-suite is full of folks thinking about people strategy these days? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's not a misperception. I mean, we were the personnel office, right? The back office. We were the people you came to just see your paycheck, get your paycheck, and hopefully you were never called into our office for anything else. So that's, that's very much the way it was. And so I'm very happy that during my career, I've seen such a switch and a change, and it's all for the better. And I think part of what's driven this is obviously... We know that the war for talent is huge. Mm-hmm. Even despite a pandemic, we're going to see, you know, low unemployment rates again in the U.S. Right. And so, you know, we, we all are fighting for great people and great people will come if you have that great culture. So I think that's why HR or people or people operations, however you call it in your company, you do need that leader at the table who can see around the corners. who can tell you how to start preparing for things coming down the road. Because yes, pricing is great and sales revenues and funnels are all great and how we build the product, but you can't do it without your people. 
And so I think that's why we now have the strategic seat at the table, because you see that, I mean, there's been studies and research done that when your people are engaged, when you have a diverse group of employees, right, Mm -hmm. the innovation flows and your Wall Street numbers look better in the end, the company profits. And so I think there's that angle that if we take care of our people, they trust in us and they they see the impact of their work. That's the other thing, too what differentiates us from maybe some of the bigger folks is you come in and the more you want, the more you can have. And we love bright people, Um, bright people want autonomy. We send them off to go do these projects and they have great results. So um, I think there's a a lot that goes into that. Yeah. You've been a part of it a long time. I'm curious. Do you think that there is a generational element to what's changed that the the younger generations expect a different relationship? Is there a, a culture? Is it, is it partially because we are a more diverse workforce than we were 30 years ago in certain markets and in certain verticals? What's, what do you think is behind this, what, what we both think is a fantastic change? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't quite thought about that. That's a great question. The generational thing could be a thing because back in the 90s, 2000s, when I was at the Oracles and the Salesforce, we're all the Gen Xers, right? We didn't need much. We're going to do it on our own. What HR is this HR, you see them for your hiring paperwork and your offboarding paperwork, and that's about it. Right. Whereas I definitely, we, we all know, we've read tons about the millennial generation and how they were raised and their needs and expectations. And I would say, without a doubt, it, their needs and expectations are much higher than Gen Xers yeah. or boomers for that, for that matter, really looking at the employer to take care of a lot of things for them. And so that enables me to then put some of these resources and programs and benefits into, in place to help support them. Right. It makes that employer brand all, all the more important, I would think, right? Because there's this desire for alignment of mission, a desire to be supported, cared for, right? Treated, treated really well. And so it's a, it's a great thing you've been able to come in and lead the charge and teach about employer brand and, and all of that in your organization. So that, I think that's greatly needed to have leaders that get that and that really understand that that's what's driving success for these next, who knows, 20, 30 years or more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can share specifically, it was part of our millennial population. I mean, it's the majority of our employee population now, but a number of them had come up to us during the summer and really had ideas on how we as a company could try to impact the economic disparity between mm. blacks and whites in this country, for example. Yeah. And so when we thought about it, you know, we, our platform is built to support entrepreneurs, right? The person who has an extra car just laying around right. and can make better use of that vehicle, make some money for themselves, and especially during the pandemic. So we took that feedback to heart, scratched our, our brains and tried to figure out how can we advance that economic opportunity to those who hadn't had that for years, right? Centuries. And we, we ended up forming a partnership with Kiva to provide microloans to folks to go finance their first car to then put it on the Turo platform and to help them start generating income. So it's exactly, you know, we love our millennials that they give us what some of these ideas and how we can make a bigger difference in the world. And so that's a great partnership and it's taken off like gangbusters. We're very, very happy about that. That's really neat. I'm sorry, I was not aware of that. That's a really, that's really fantastic idea. Looking at all the the change that's taken place over the past 12 months, and I'm sure it was really difficult a year ago when you guys were just hit all of a sudden with all the need for so much change. 
hopefully we're coming to an end here shortly and hopefully we can get back together and have those coffees and water cooler conversations. Once we do, what do you think is going to be the most important thing to focus on when it comes to people's strategy? If you've even allowed yourself to think (laughs) beyond the pandemic, what do you think's next in terms of just supporting people and and attracting them and, and, and retaining them in your organization? So, I mean, I think one of the first things is as we transition back to the office, we're going to need a lot of support for our managers once again, because I'm anticipating that while most are anxious to get back, there's some who have anxiety about going back, whether because of their own personal mental state or or physical medical state Mm -hmm. or uh, uh, family members. And so they don't want to risk exposure. And so top of my team's mind is how do we support those managers with making sure that we treat people fairly, whether they're in the office or not in the office, working, continuing to work remote and to make sure that they are clear and setting goals and expectations and check-ins and everything just as they would with people in the office. So that's kind of number one top of mind as we, we transition back. The next phase for us is how do we continue to keep our culture, evolve our programs, but as we continue on our long path of becoming this, this public company someday, what does that mean for us as a people organization as well? How do we have to support our people? Culture changes. We can't be maybe as transparent with data and numbers as we used to be. All of those things that we have to have a conversation with leadership about whenever that day comes, but planning, planning phases. Yeah, the, the complexity of things just grows and grows, I would imagine, mm-hmm. as you as you get bigger, and especially with an eye towards becoming public, perhaps. Well, that's great. Anything else, Lori, that you would want to share to a listener about the importance of culture, employer brand, people strategy as you're starting your organization, or maybe just any mistakes to avoid along the way? <laughs> uh, mistakes. Yeah, I, I, I know I've made some of those, but I, I can't think right off the top of my head. I mean, I think the main thing when it comes to building a great place to work is you have to first figure out what your values are and what resonates for you. Because I can tell you that what we decided to do at Zendesk is very different than what we've decided to do here at Turo. And so it has to be very authentic to who you are as an organization, to your business. And my advice would be that whatever you come out with on your values, as I mentioned before, you have to live them day in, day out. And we, we weave our values throughout the whole employee experience. So we have four values at Turo. It's we are pioneering we are efficient, we are down to earth, and we are supportive. And these values didn't get created from Andre, our CEO, and just kind of here's the word of Andre, and you will follow these values and nobody questions them. It actually came out through a hackathon from our employees at one of our turbo weeks where we gather all together for four or five days. So the employees came up with these, and this came up before I was even here on board. They put a presentation to the executive team, and there were some iterations, and we landed with these values. But now that we have these values, we've woven them throughout everything. It's part of our interview process. It's part of our performance review cycle. These are criteria in order to get the top rating. You have to exhibit these on a daily basis. This isn't a once a quarter basis that you model the values. Our top employee recognition awards on a quarterly basis are based on them. Everything that we do, we weave this throughout. It's not just something that's painted on the wall and nobody knows. We live them every day. And, and you know, we try to make our decisions based on those as well. Is this decision in, in a down-to-earth, authentic decision for us? Are we being pioneering? We're in a pioneering industry here. We're, we're 
disrupting the traditional car rental marketplace. And so we take that very, very seriously. Is this decision we're making bold enough? Should we be pushing it a little bit more? Are we being efficient with our resources? So it's about how you make your decisions based on the beliefs that you have as a company and then how you behave on a day-to-day basis reflecting those. Yeah. Two things I really love about what you said. One, you mentioned earlier that values are revealed. And, and I think that that's exactly what you, you guys did with that hackathon is you ask your people, <laughs> what are our values? And you're going to get a reflection of what they've observed and what they've lived out over time, which is probably a much more accurate depiction than one person sitting down and expressing, quote, our values, which I think can turn into his or her values. Pretty right. Quick. So, Yeah, that's great. Very consistent with what you've shared all throughout around bringing people into the conversation, having clarity, transparency, and I think some really great, great lessons learned for all of us listening today. So thank you so much, Lori. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Yeah, really appreciate your time. And I know you're a very, very busy woman with, what is it, two kids and three dogs. Oh, and we, <laughs> we got a guest appearance from a couple of the dogs here earlier. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks again. And thanks, everybody, for listening to Bragworthy Culture. And we'll catch you next time.